And I think last last year when I came up and that happened, that was going on, <clears throat> they, uh, the police were directing traffic and they, you know, I go, I'm the past, let me get in. <laughs> no, they're, they're pretty cool. All right, uh, good evening, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1? <clears throat> Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. And it's good to see uh, uh, Clay back in the fold, having a surgery, shoulder surgery. So uh, you need to all, as we said Sunday, pray for Robin. You know, I don't know if she, I don't know if, because I'm, I'm a bad, uh, you can ask my mother that. Well, you couldn't ask her now, but uh, <laughs> I'm not a very good person when I'm sick. So <laughs> as most guys are. Anyway, so uh, keep him in prayer. That's a tough surgery. And... Um, also, it's good to see Henry's here alive because uh, somebody it was a hit and run. Then he here had, uh, got nailed the other day. In fact, you know, when he was talking to me about it today, there's a guy that I was telling him as he was calling me today, a guy with his bumper was missing on his side. And it was, I think it was a Hyundai coming right at me as he was calling me. I was like, wish I looked at the plates. But I was trying to get the phone call without crashing myself. So anyways, so keep that in prayer. Thank, thank God he's okay. And his sister's here today. Nice to see you. Thanks. Ellie, I love that name because my mother's Eleanor, and we used to call her, they used to call her Ellie or Al, my father's side. Yeah. See, so are you Eleanor? Or, or you did yeah, Ellie? Yeah. Ellie, really? Oh, cool. So, yeah, we, um, we had all, Ellie, Red, because she's a red, she was a redhead, so we used to call her Red and all kinds of stuff. And we blame, we blame my poor mother for everything, the male, male patent baldness and everything. And, uh, oh, yeah, because we lost all our hair. It was like, it's your fault, Ma. And so, but anyways, we used to give her a hard time. And because she took it so well. Anyway, so we're going to continue our step. Forgive me for my voice. It's a little bit uh, messed up. So hopefully I won't be, uh, I should be okay. But uh, I, guess, I guess something going around here. So I got it, and I, I didn't feel too bad. And I've been able to ta- talk all day. But as it gets toward nighttime, it gets a little... Uh, uh, rough, so I took a throat lozenger, so I hope you'll be all right. So, anyways, because I don't want to lose my voice. All right, so we're going to be looking, continuing our study of the day of the Lord, <clears throat> and we're going to be noting the scope of the day of the Lord today, the second hour. We had an introduction. We had an introduction on uh, next, last Wednesday, and so we kind of looked at a panoramic view of this study. Uh, we, we're going to today note the scope of the day of the Lord, which basically the day of the Lord prophecies are found uh, in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, but the ones of the, uh, many of the Old Testament ones have actually been fulfilled in history already and the writer, in, the, in, the, uh, in the contemporary setting of the writer. So we'll be noting that here this evening. And also, uh, we see that a lot of these day of the Lord prophecies are yet to be fulfilled, and many of them are related to the 70th week of Daniel, as well as uh, the second advent to Christ, uh, the um, uh, 70th week of Daniel, the millennial, uh, the second advent to Christ, which ends uh, Daniel's 70th week, and the millennial reign, as well as the new heavens and the new earth. What's also interesting about this is that, it, it, you know, you, like we saw in 2 Peter 3, uh, when we looked at the day of the Lord prophecy with regards to the... Um, uh, the, new, the creation of the new heavens and new earth, we found out that uh, it has an application for the spiritual life. So in other words, based on the fact that God's going to do this in the future, here's the application. And you see this in, with regards to the rapture, and I think we pointed that out, we'll continue to point that out in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 12, 
the day of the Lord prophecies there, talking about the tribulation period and how we should act now in light of these things. So uh, it's, uh, there's a, a definitely an application that I'll be bringing out for the spiritual life when we look at prophecy. Uh, prophecy should be a motivation uh, to, uh, to uh, live the spiritual life, to keep short accounts with God, especially with the rapture. The rapture is a great doctrine to keep short accounts with God, motivate you to, because if Christ could come back at any time, the imminency of the rapture, you want to be in fellowship with God, you know? So that's why I say short accounts with God means you confess your sins immediately and then maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit uh, who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. So uh, that's what we'll be looking at today. So if you could, and now before we take the opening prayer, turn your Bibles to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. <coughs> Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. So let's take a moment of silent prayer. As is our custom, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overactive sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. And we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit, in Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for another day that you've given to us to study your almighty word. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, the person and work of your Son of the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We thank you, Father, for the adversity and the prosperity that you bring into our lives in order to get us to grow to spiritual maturity, to show our need for you. And we thank you for your rod and your staff. We thank you, Father, for the good discipline and the bad discipline when we're living in the, uh, not living in according to your plan and a habitual basis and to get us to confess our sins and get back in, on track with you. We thank you, Father, for uh, this study and the day of the Lord, and we just pray that it will be a blessing to your people. I thank you for everyone among your people who's here this evening that has taken time out of their busy weeks to hear your almighty word. And so I thank you for each and every one of them, the, uh, those who uh, you purchased with the blood of your son at Calvary. So I thank you, Father, for this great honor and privilege that you've given to me to communicate your word to your people. And I pray, Father, that, uh, you know, your word says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when we're weak or strong, your power is manifested in our human weakness. So I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit do a mighty work tonight. Despite the fact with the problems with my voice, I just pray, Father, that you'd help me to bring forth your full counsel tonight, the accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power, so I could minister to your people 
And I pray that you would work mightily and powerfully through your children in the audience. Help them to learn, understand, to concentrate, and to make the proper application of what they're being taught. I pray that this study, as a result, would uh, cause us to get excited even more about your word than we already are, and that it would uh, motivate us to live the spiritual life, to grow to spiritual maturity, to become like your son. That it would, uh, would help us in evangelization of the non-Christian in our periphery. And as a res and ultimately, that it would result in us all continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray, Father. Amen. All right, the scope of the day of the Lord. So we'll be in Old Testament and New Testament here this evening. And so as we pointed out in our previous class in the introduction, one of the major lines of prophecy running throughout the Old Testament and continuing through the New Testament is the prophetic truth related to the day of the Lord. Now, it is a critical phrase in understanding God's revelation regarding the future of planet Earth, the city of Jerusalem, that's in the news today, and the nation of Israel, which is in the news today, as well as the future of the Gentiles. So all these day of the Lord prophecies are related to all these things, the future of planet Earth, the future of the city of Jerusalem, and the nation of Israel, as well as the Gentile nations. Now, the writers of the New Testament, we also pointed this out in our introduction, the writers of the New Testament use this phrase based on their understanding of the Old Testament prophets. They read them. Paul was engrossed in them. Peter, they all knew them. And so uh, when they interpret the day of the Lord, that, that's what we need to pay attention, how they interpret the day of the Lord prophecies. And they looked at the day of the Lord like the Old Testament prophets looked at, the day, at these day of the Lord prophecies. So this phrase, the day of the Lord, and there's other phrases that are used in relation to the day of the Lord, that day, the great day, as we pointed out in our previous class. So this phrase, the day of the Lord, was used by the prophets of Israel in the Old Testament when they were speaking of both the near historical as well as future eschatological events. So we'll find in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a number of them uh, in the first half hour of this study this evening, that were fulfilled in the contemporary setting of the writer. In other words, in a, these, these prophecies, Daniel prophecies, many of them were fulfilled in the, right, the, the time of the writer, whether it was Zephaniah or Joel or Amos or Ezekiel. Okay? So the New Testament writers understood this and applied the phrase, the day of the Lord, to both the judgment, which will terminate the tribulation period of Daniel's 70th week, as well as the judgment, which will bring this, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth to planet earth. The, uh, bring the creation of the new heavens and new earth. The day of the Lord is related to that. So again, the New Testament writers understood this, and they applied the phrase, the day of the Lord, to both the judgment which is going to terminate the 70th week of Daniel. And we're going to talk about the 70th week of Daniel starting next week because we're going to go, we have to go into the 70th week of Daniel. We have to study the 70 weeks prophecy to understand it and before we can go and look at the 70th week of Daniel. So we're going to be talking about that in detail for the next several uh, weeks. Okay, So that's going to be very important. And I got, a, we got, uh, I got some charts that I've worked out over the years and that I've taught on this subject before. So it's a lot of fun. I think you'll uh, enjoy it. I, I know I enjoy teaching it. It's a lot of fun, and you never seem to have enough time. With this subject, you could go uh, for hours upon hours. So we get to the question uh, of this after this introduction we had last week, and I brought out a few of the things that we brought out in our introduction last week. What is the scope of the day of the Lord? Have some of these prophecies been fulfilled already in history? Or are all of them fulfilled at this time? Or are some of these prophecies yet to be fulfilled? Now, 
Answering these questions will allow us to determine the scope of the day of the Lord. How, where does it extend from and where does it end? Where does it begin, where these day of the Lord prophecies begin and where do they end? Well, if you do a little perusal of the Old Testament, there are many day of the Lord prophecies which have already been fulfilled in history. Number one, we have the Assyrian deportation of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. We see this in the prophecy of Amos, and Amos chapter 5, verses 18 and 20, that whole chapter, okay? So there's the, the Assyrian, remember we told, talked about uh, the southern kingdom of Judah being disciplined by God in the book of Habakkuk, right? It, just before God's going to use Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon to destroy the, the southern kingdom, uh, we see that Habakkuk got this vision from God, okay, which we're studying on Sundays. Well, uh, over 100 years before that, the northern kingdom went out on this, the, the fifth cycle of discipline. They were disciplined by God, by the Assyrian Empire, and 722 BC, and they never returned to the land. And the northern kingdom uh, was cost, uh, we had ten tribes, and two of the tribes, <coughs> excuse me, two of the tribes were um, uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin. They were the southern kingdom. Okay, so Habakkuk's talking about the southern kingdom of Judah that was an apostasy that God was going to use Babylon to discipline her. Well, the Assyrian Empire. Uh, their their, their uh, invasion of the northern kingdom was prophesied by Amos in Amos chapter 5, verses 18 and 20. Then uh, we saw last week there's the, there's the locust plague and Joel's day, uh, which is approximately 835 B.C., as we pointed out. Uh, we see that phrase, day of the Lord, in Joel 115. We saw that last week. That was a play, That was an interesting book. We'll talk about a little bit more about that book. Uh, here this evening, maybe go into chapter 3 a little bit, which is quite interesting. I taught it, I actually taught that book, as I said last week, Joel, down here in Alabama, and I think we were down in, uh, I think it was in Birmingham. Uh, Vaughn and Debbie had a house, and they invited people in the neighborhood, and a bunch of pastors showed up, too. I couldn't believe it. I was like, meet all these guys. How do you know all these pastors? He said, I didn't. They just showed up out of the work. We, had, we advertised it. So it was like about 10 years ago, 12 years, 10, 11 years ago. So that's my first uh, time ever teaching in, in Alabama, and I've taught other, uh, down uh, at Laurie Coppersmith's house with Dennis one time. That was a lot of fun, too. So um, so maybe God was trying to tell me way back then that, hey, get ready, you're going to be in Alabama one day. So here I am. Better, uh, be, for better or for worse, whether you, you're stuck with me now, okay? So the locust play in Joel's day is, uh, was fulfilled in history, Joel 1.15. And then we have the Babylonian exile of Judah between 605 and 586 B.C., which we're talking a lot about uh, in uh, Habakkuk. And so we see that in Zephaniah 1.7 and Ezekiel 13.5. So let's take a look at uh, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. And so we're going to this passage, and uh, because we have a day of the Lord uh, phrase mentioned in Zephaniah 1-7, but this prophecy, this day of the Lord prophecy, is related to the contemporary setting of the writer Zephaniah, okay? And he lived during the time of Josiah, and this is, he was the last great king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And then after he dies in battle uh, at the hands of Egypt, then we see, then we have, uh, we have uh, Jehoiakim coming in and Zedekiah, and then that's when the invasions of the Babylonians started, okay? So we're going to Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 1, look at verse 1, Zephaniah 1, 1, it says, The word of the Lord came, that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble. When I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
Then he goes on to say in verses 4 through 7, he starts talking about what's going to happen during his day and age, I will, in, in, in the near future. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, okay, so it's talking about his day and age, and, I, and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, one of the gods that they, the, the people of Judah worship. By the way, the king of Judah, uh, they, were, they followed in the footsteps of uh, King Solomon, like the northern kingdom did. What I mean is King Solomon was involved in syncretism. Many people, many Christians don't realize this, and I've been bringing this out about Solomon. He started off great. I mean, he wrote scripture too, right? He has Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. But his, foreign, his love for his foreign wives took him away from his obedience to God. And he actually worshipped the gods of his foreign wives. God told the kings of Israel not to take foreign wives. Why? Because they would take them away from worshipping him. With the use of their gods. Their wives' influence would take them away from worshipping the Lord. Okay? So that's a great thing for people who are looking, you know, thinking of getting married. Make sure you get involved with somebody that is not going to take you away from worshipping the Lord. Because that's a very important decision. So, this is what we got going on here. So, they worshiped all types of gods, the southern kingdom of Judah. Baal was one of them, and God was angry about it. So, he says, I will cut off from this place, Jerusalem, every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Molech, another god, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor acquire of him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Remember we studied this with Habakkuk? Be silent, the end of chapter 2. Be silent, because God's in his holy temple. Be silent means listen to this prophecy, and this is, a, this is basically, it's imminent. So you better listen up, he's saying, to the nation of, king, of the, nation, the kingdom of Judah. Be silent before the sovereign Lord. Why? For the day of the Lord is near. Near meaning imminent. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he's invited. Those he invited are the Babylonian soldiers and, their, uh, and other nations that were involved in a coalition of nations with them. So then it says on the verse 8, it says, On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. When did he do this? In 605, 597, and 586 B.C. This is another day of the Lord prophecy that's been fulfilled in history. On that day, I will punish all, what day? The, the period of time, now, this is very important. See this word day, yom in Hebrew? Always pay attention to context. When you talk about these day of the Lord prophecies, usually it's not talking about a 24-hour period. It's talking about a period of time in which God judges, okay? So this is, what he, this is how it's used here. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, the holy day-age thing, new earth thing, and all that stuff, well... The word day there, oh, sorry for the day ages, and I have a friend who's a big day ager, it's like, it's just, it's not a big deal, but, you know, he's wrong. So I said, this is why you're wrong, my friend, is because it says, in, in, in the morning and evening, the second, third, you know, fourth day, right? Okay, so who's he writing to, I said? I say, he's writing to the Jews. Morning and evening, the first day. And then frame of reference, are they, is, is Moses speak, writing to the frame of reference of these Jewish people who understood him to be speaking of a 24-hour period? Yes. He's not talking to you and your people with a scientific mind like we have in the 21st century. No. That's where you got to pay attention to the context. So the context, the historical context, the literary context is telling you it's not 
a thousand, and you know, each, each of these days is a thousand years or whatever they have, okay? Here's the other thing, just so you, I'll throw this in there. I think the earth is a lot older than 6,000 years. You know why? Because Satan was here before us. Ezekiel 28 talks about that. He was in the Garden of Eden. The anointed cherub was, okay? So keep that in mind. So let's get back to this. He says, on that day, on that, during that period of time, you can say, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, one of these weird pagan rituals that they had, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. Okay, so we have another, another uh, day of the Lord prophecy that was fulfilled in history. We have the Babylonian defeat of Egypt in 586 B.C. That's uh, found in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. And then, something we studied in the past, uh, here at uh, Doctrinal Bible Church, is the destruction of Edom at Obadiah chapter 1. Okay, there's only one chapter. Let's go take a look at that. We, we know that book pretty well, don't we? So go to Obadiah, verse 1. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1. Obadiah 1, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. Okay? Now, who's Edom? Remember, Edom, they're the descendants of Esau. Who are the descendants of, of Jacob? What, it's the Israelites, right? So, Edom... They got, in, they got into bed with Babylon when they attacked Judah. God was angry about it. Why? Because they're blood relatives. So this is prophecy. This first 14 verses are a prophecy against the Edomites. And this was fulfilled in history. So it says, this, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord, an envoy sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go up against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who could bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now he's talking about the nest uh, you know, among the stars. It's because Edom, we saw this in great detail when we did the book, uh, they... They, they, their, their cities were built in the rocks, and so they would they would ambush armies coming through. In fact, it was very difficult to, for an invading army to attack them. It's a godforsaken place. We saw the pictures of it to, there today. So then it says in verse five: If these came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you! Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. And that day, during that period of time where they're getting destroyed by Babylon, Edom, and that day, during that period, declares the Lord, uh, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? They were in the ancient world at that time, they were considered, uh, they were very famous the wise men of Edom. Men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Yeah, he's going to destroy them. Your warriors, O Teman. That's a city out there in Edom. We're going to see Tedom. Uh, Teman, actually, in, uh, in the, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to talk about that because the Lord, as we're going to see, and you compare with Isaiah 63 and Habakkuk chapter 3, the divine warrior psalm, Jesus Christ is going to be coming from 
where Edom, okay, Edom, where actually is Jordan is today. And he's going to have blood on his garments at the second advent of Christ. And then he's going to make his way up into Jerusalem, okay? So, but he's going to destroy the, I believe he's going to destroy the Antichrist in this area, okay? And I'm going to, we'll, I'll go into detail while I think that. So I'm going to, we'll be tracking the Lord's movements at the second advent. So he says, your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified. And everyone at Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter, fulfilled in history. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. You'll be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth, the southern kingdom of Judah's wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, the Babylonians, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. So they betrayed their blood relatives. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to get, cut down their fugitives. They were ambushing them. Nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they've never been. But on my Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. So we see those are, so as we look quickly by way of review, the day of the Lord prophecies that have been fulfilled already in history, one, we could say the Assyrian deportation of the northern kingdom of Israel, 722 B.C., locust plague in Joel's day, uh, Joel 115, Number three, the Babylonian exile of Judah between 605 and 586 B.C. Zephaniah chapter 1 for, uh, verses, uh, we can say verses 1 through 7. And Ezekiel 13, 5. And then we have the Babylonian defeat of Egypt in 586 B.C., Ezekiel 30. And then lastly, number five, we have the destruction of Edom and uh, the first 14 verses of the book of Obadiah, a book we studied in details we pointed out. Now, there are several Day of the Lord prophecies which are yet future, which will be fulfilled during the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. So we're going to be looking at this, start to look at this 70 weeks prophecy uh, next week. And, and I, have a, I have a chart here. I could probably show it to you. I wasn't going to do it yet, but uh, let me just throw it up there for you so you can see it. And uh, here we go. Let me just get it up here for you. Nope, I can't get it on. Here we go. Nope. Anyways, here we go. Okay, so this is Daniel's 70th week, but this is not the one I want. Hold on one sec. There is it. Ah, here we go. Sorry about that. I wasn't planning on doing it tonight. So here's my chart of the 70th weeks, 70 weeks of Daniel. 70 weeks of Daniel is in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. I'm going to go quickly here, but we're going to go into detail slow in the next couple of weeks, Okay. It's, 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 it's actually uh, 70, prophetic, it's, uh, 70 prophetic years, seven, uh, 490 prophetic years, 70 weeks, a week in the prophecy is seven years. So there's 70 weeks of Daniel, 490 prophetic years, okay? 69 of these weeks, 483 of these prophetic years have already been fulfilled in history. In fact, the events predicted in Daniel 9.26 between 
which took place before, after the, uh, the, 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 the last uh, 483rd prophetic year, okay, the 69th week, the crucifixion of Christ, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, destruction of Jerusalem, all have taken place in history predicted in Daniel 926, back in the 6th century BC. But we have the Daniel 927, we have nothing in history that corresponds to it. Now the preterists, who like to come after me, when they read my articles, they love to go after me because they think this stuff was all fulfilled in the first century, but it's easy to pick them apart because they don't have anything in history that can corresponds to what is being said in Daniel 927, though they try. So here, the, we have the, uh, we have the, it all starts off with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. That was in 444 BC. And so this goes to the completion of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So that period is seven weeks. That's 49, equivalent to 49 of these prophetic years. Then we have, from the completion of the rebuilding of Jerusalem to Christ's triumphal entry to Jerusalem, we have 62 weeks. That's equivalent to 434 years. Now, if added together, do the math, that's 69 weeks, and that's equivalent to 43 prophetic years, all have been fulfilled in history. Now, there's Daniel 9.26, that whole verse has been fulfilled in history. Crucifixion of Christ, and then the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. The church age is taking place right now during this period, okay? Now, when the rapture comes, then we can have the second, 70th week of Daniel to begin. How do we know that? Because of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. The, the, the one who's holding back evil there in that passage, as we saw in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7, I'm gonna go back to it again tonight quickly, but it's speaking of the Holy Spirit who indwells the church. And the Holy, only God can restrain evil. Okay, so the, right now, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are permanently indwelling each member of the church. So he's local, they were localized in us, in a body of people. Okay, that when, we are, when we're following what the Spirit's teaching us in Scripture, we're the salt of the earth, and we're holding back, we're restraining evil in the world today. So in other words, the devil can't wait to get us out of the way. And when the rapture happens, boom, then it can happen. Paul says that explicitly. Then the day of the Lord can take place with the manifestation of the Antichrist. So the rapture is imminent, it can happen any time. So that 70th week starts with Antichrist making a treaty with the Israel, with the nation of Israel, okay? And so it's la this last week is, is, is what? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a seven year period, okay? It's just one week, right? So it's broken up into two sections. The first three and a half years, are basically the Antichrist makes a treaty to the way, to the time he breaks it. The breaking of the treaty is mentioned by Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He goes down, and I guess, you know, he's trying to imitate God, and so in the rebuilt Jerusalem temple, they got the plans to rebuild it now. It can't go up now because you get the Dome of the Rock. We know archaeology, the digs there, several going on. We know the Temple Mount's right around there, okay? So how that's going to happen, I have no idea. Maybe Antichrist will work a deal with the, with the Arabs. Anyways, in fact, Jerusalem was never one of the holiest cities of Islam ever was. It was never that until the Israelites got back in there in 1948. Now it's a holy city for these guys. Before that, they could kill us. That's not my opinion. That's just a fact, okay? So not to get sidetracked. So you have Antichrist goes and makes that, goes in and breaks the treaty, uh, Daniel 9.27, declares himself God. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, also, uh, we have uh, the false prophet is going to make an image of the Antichrist. 
Revelation 13 talks about that. Now, Jesus references that because he talks about the, the, desolate, the abomination that's standing in the temple. There's one that's sitting, that's the Antichrist, sitting in the rebuilt Jerusalem temple between the cherubim. And basically, many people, scholars believe that the, the Ark of the Covenant is basically the footstool of God's feet in the throne of God, okay? So Antichrist is going to sit there mimicking God. Jesus Christ, okay? We have the satanic trinity going on during the tribulation period. Satan is imitating God the Father, trying to, and then G uh, the Antichrist imitating Jesus, and the false prophet is imitating the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus, right? So the false prophet's going to lift up the Antichrist. Okay, satanic trinity. So we have that period, that's from, this, from the time Antichrist breaks the treaty to the very, till Christ comes back in the second advent. That's three and a half years. According to the Jewish reckoning of time, they didn't have a 365-day calendar. They had a 360-day calendar. They had leap years, okay? So that's very important when we study this prophecy. So we have here what we call the tribulation period. Jesus says when you see the abomination, in Matthew 24, he's talking to the Jews during that, are going to be living during that period. They asked them when the kingdom is going to start on earth. He's not talking about the rapture, okay? The rapture is not preceded by signs, it's talking in context to the Jews. They ask them specifically, when are you going to start the kingdom? No, these things have to happen first. So we see that, that, that when, when the Antichrist, when that, that image is in the temple, he says, run for the hills to the Jews, and they'll scatter. There'll be a small remnant who'll stay in the city fighting the Antichrist to the very end. Christ comes back. So that's called the tribulation portion of the 70th week. Okay? So that is all yet future. Okay, so as I said before, so now you have a little idea about the Daniel 70th week. There are several day of the Lord prophecies which will be fulfilled during the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. There are some that will be fulfilled through the second advent to Christ, Zechariah 14, verses 3 through 8, and his subsequent millennial reign as well, Zechariah chapter 14, 9 through 21. Great, Pat, I love this book. One of these days I'm going to do this book. And uh, Zechariah is a great book. I want to do Zechariah before I do. Revelation. And so I got people going, what are you going to do Revelation? I got to do Revelation. I want to do some other books before I do Revelation. Revelation, I'll do that when I'm an old man, if I live long enough, okay? Then I get all that Old Testament. You can't do Revelation without knowing your Old Testament, okay? So when I get to the Old, I'll get to Revelation when God's good and ready to let me do Revelation, if he lets me do it. So Zechariah 14, 9 to 21, Joel chapter 3, verses 17 to 21, also talks about the millennial reign of Christ. Now, the phrase, the day of the Lord, occurs 19 times in the Old Testament, and it occurs uh, six times in the minor prophets and two, uh, two times with the major prophets. Now, it's found, as we just, uh, we talked about Obadiah a little while ago. The day of the Lord is found in Obadiah 15, where it's used of God's judgment of Edom, as we just read. At, and it had a near fulfillment in that passage through Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army defeating Edom. And we know that from the statements in verses 1 through 14 of that book. Now, however, this phrase also pointed to Obadiah 15 being fulfilled in a far distant future and the establishment of Christ's millennial kingdom, which is indicated by verses 15 to 21 of Obadiah. And in verses 15 and 16, there's an abrupt shift to the prophet addressing all the nations, and thus Edom becomes the pattern for future nations. Also, interestingly enough, we study this too when we study the book. The destruction of the nations in verse 16 is a future event and has not taken place in human history to this point. 
And furthermore, verses 17 to 21 speaks of Israel's restoration, which will occur during the millennial reign of Christ. And lastly, verse 21 says that this kingdom will be the Lord's, which is a reference to Jesus Christ's future millennial reign. So look at verse 17. Actually, look at verse 15, please. Obadiah 15. So it says, we just read the first 14 verses. God condemns Edom for betraying their blood relatives, the southern kingdom of Judah, the Israelites, right? Now he says in verse 15, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. Okay, that's interesting there. As you've done, it'll be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. So that's what happened to Edom. What they did to the, to the kingdom of Judah, when Babylon got them, was done to them. Then it says, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. The nations, as we pointed out, that were involved in the invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah. They will drink and drink and be as if they'd never been. Now, where are those nations today that destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah? We pointed out they don't exist. Israel still does, though. Then, verse 17, something happens. But on Mount Zion, Jerusalem, will be deliverance. It will be holy. Has it ever been holy? It will be holy when Christ comes back and sanctifies it. Remember, that's what holy means? Right now, it's not holy. you got the Dome of the Rock on there. you got the Muslim mosque up there, a pagan temple. Really? In God's eyes. So it's not holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. Has it possessed its inheritance yet? No. The house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. And what does he mean by that? Well, this is interesting because at that point when Obadiah writes this, we saw, you had the northern and southern kingdoms. So we see Joseph was a designation for the northern kingdom. Jacob was a designation for the southern kingdom. So they're going to be united during the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent to Christ. That's not, has not happened in history yet. That they, they, that they destroy, okay, that they destroy uh, these nations. So it says, the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble and they will set it on fire and consume it. There'll be no survivors from the house of Esau. Now you just thought that, remember we talked about this? Remember? Esau, Edom, will be resurrected just like Israel was. It'd be back on the pages of history again. Now, Edom in that area is really the kingdom of Jordan today. So then it says in verse 19, people from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. And the people, you know where they're fighting now, Hamas? That whole stretch there? What do you think that is? The Negev. That's what it was. It says, the people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. So the prophet's saying, this is what, in the future... The nation of Israel will possess all these areas that we know today as Ephraim, Samaria, Benjamin, and possessing Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up to Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's, speaking of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, the phrase, the day of the Lord, occurs five times in Joel. Joel 1.15, and 3.14. And Joel's prophecy can be described as having a near eschatological fulfillment with the locust plague that took place in his day and age around 835 B.C., as we pointed out. So it also can be described as having a far view and that it will be fulfilled during the tribulation portion of Daniel's 70th week and Jesus Christ's subsequent millennial reign. Joel equates the invading armies during the tribulation with the locust plague that Israel suffered in his day. Chapter 1 of the book of Joel, which we read last week, 
Uh, chapter 1 deals with the locust plague in Joel's day, while chapter 2 describes the invading armies of Israel during the tribulation period of Daniel's 70th week. Uh, you go to Joel. Go to Joel chapter 2. I told you this passage in Joel 2, the portion of it, is referring to the, the, the Russian invasion, led invasion of Israel, that's recorded, prophecy recorded in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're going to go through that in this Day of the Lord series. We're going to track the movements of the Russian army, the military, and when it's going to take place, and who's going to be with them. Okay? So Russia is a player, okay, during the 70th week. But, uh, so look at, um, let's look at verse 15. I think we'll start you there. Okay. Yeah, look at verse 15. Joel 1.15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. The trumpet was used for many things. One of the major things it was used for in Israel. We're marching. War. That's what it's saying. Call a nation to war. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. And call a sacred assembly. Now, by the way, it's quite, quite interesting. When you hear the concept of holy war, actually in the Bible is a holy war. God uses it when he, he when he went out to battle in Moses' day or the, whatever the nation of Israel was going out to battle with the nation under David or King Saul. The nation had to be sanctified. The men had to be sanctified. They had to be because they, the Lord was in their midst and He was going to fight for them. Quite interesting. We'll do a study on that one day. It's pretty cool. I'm reading a cool book on it. The divine uh, God is a divine warrior. So look at verse uh, 16. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, and gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room in the bridal chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine, oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Then he says this, I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea, Mediterranean. And its stench will go up and its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. So that is alluding to Ezekiel 38 and 39. We'll talk about that when we get to Ezekiel 38 and 39. So as I had this point on the board, Joel chapter 2 verses 30 and 32 is referring to Jesus Christ's second advent in which he will deliver Israel from the Antichrist and the tribulational armies. So look at, uh, look at over at uh, verse 30 now. Go up to verse 30. Actually, start at, uh, yeah, verse 30. Go 30. Now, this passage, this portion of Joel, chapter 2, was quoted by Peter when he evangelized the Jews in the day of Pentecost. Okay, 3,000 came to save knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he quotes, he says, it's like, it'll be like, this is like the time, what's going to happen at the, the national regeneration of Israel at the second advent. So it says in verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens. This is what he's going to do during the second advent and the tribulation period. And on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the seven seal, trumpet and bold judgments of Revelation 6 to 18. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 
and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's talking about justification by faith, a national regeneration of Israel. What do I mean by that? The majority of the Jews during Jesus' day rejected him. The majority of the Jews in, at the second advent will believe in him, in contrast to the first advent. We call that the national regeneration of the nation of Israel. The dry bones passage of Ezekiel 37 is not completely fulfilled. They, have to, they haven't had the breath of life, they haven't had eternal life put into them. Okay? The bones will get together, but they're going to be they're going to be marching, they're going to be born again and saved, okay? And that's yet future. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. So he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because at that point, by the time it gets to the second, second advent to Christ, Israel will be desperate. They're dispersed throughout the nation. The freedom fighters, this tiny little band of soldiers are fighting in Jerusalem. Antichrist, they've got the, they've got the armies of the east and they're coming across the dried up Euphrates River with, led by China, as it says in Revelation 16. They come across the dry, dried up Euphrates River with these demons underneath there, by the way. And so they come in, they go into the Valley of Jehoshaphat. You know, the Armageddon campaign is coming to an end. Armageddon is, a, is not a pitched battle like Waterloo. It's, it's, a, it's a three and a half year war. It's the last three and a half years of the 70th week. It's a campaign, the uh, Revelation says. We'll get to that too. So we have here, uh, they, they emerge with the Antichrist. There's going to be pushback. Antichrist, yeah, he's going to have a world empire, but he's not, it's not like he's going to have no pushback. China's going to, the fire, armies of the Far East, led by China, are going to push back at him. There are other nations push back at him, like Edom. What we now know is suddenly as a kingdom of Jordan today, they're going to push back. So it's going to be quite interesting. We'll talk about all these movements of Antichrist during his, during the tribulation period. I'll show you how in Daniel, we'll go through all of that. It's fascinating. Okay. So he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, there'll be deliverance, as the Lord said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now, in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, it predicts the future judgment of the nations during the tribulation, while Joel, verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 to 21, predicts the future restoration of Israel and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, the phrase, the day of the Lord, also appears twice in the book of Amos, and Amos 5, 18 and 20, as I noted earlier. The prophecy of Amos, is he was a farmer, by the way, you know, the Bible uses all kinds of guys. You got kings, you got farmers, okay? You got all kinds of people that write scripture in the Old Testament. God likes diversity. And he, like, he's, he also thinks he has a sense of humor, a great sense of humor. Because the guys he uses to teach the word of God and to be his apostles, man, they're pieces of work. It makes me feel good. And you should be feeling good too about the grace of God. He could use knuckleheads like that. And some of them were real, like Peter. You know, we can all identify with Peter and some of these guys, but they turn out to be all right after a while, you know? But that's, what the, that's the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He can take his grace and his mercy and his love can do amazing things for sinners saved by faith, in, uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So the prophecy of Amos is directed to the historical situation in his day. How do we know that? Well, it's indicated by the fact that he wrote to the 10 northern tribes in Amos 7.10. And to King Jeroboam, predicting his future exile to Assyria, and Amos 5.27, 6.14, 7.19, and 7.17. Amos was predicting the fall of Samaria, which took place in 722 B.C. And the prophet emphasizes the inevitability 
of this destruction in Amos chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And he also predicts the Lord intervening on Israel's behalf in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. So Amos only uses the phrase the day of the Lord in what we call a near sense. So when I use in this study, and I use it in prophecy, near sense, near fulfillment, far eschatological fulfillment. When I talk about far eschatological, eschatological is a big word they use in theology and prophecy for the study of future things, okay? So when I talk about a far eschatological fulfillment, I'm talking about the 70th week, second advent of Christ, millennial reign, that, and the new heavens and new earth. That's a near fulfillment is near to the writer in his historical context, okay? So you see these prophecies being fulfilled in a near sense in the time of the writer or in the, in the very near future to the writer. So Amos, uh, he predicts the Lord intervening on, on behalf of Israel at, at Amos 9, 11 through 15. And as I said before, Amos only uses the phrase the day of the Lord in a near sense, meaning that his use of the phrase is only contained in a prophecy which was exclusive to the historical situation in his day. And the phrase the day of the Lord occurs twice in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 and 9. At, but the first reference to the, this phrase appears in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 2 is an amazing prophecy. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, there's a prophecy regarding the future establishment of God's kingdom. And in verses 5 through 9 of this chapter, there's a reference uh, to the sinful state of Israel during Isaiah's day. And then in verses 10 through 22 of the same chapter, he issues a prophecy regarding the far future judgment. It appears... We see it appears that this prophecy will be fulfilled during the 70th week of Daniel and subsequent millennial reign of Christ rather than God judging Israel through the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions. Why? Because Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 predicts that Zion will be the world capital. Has it ever been? No. Israel. He's talking about Jerusalem, Zion. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 predicts that God will judge between the nations. God himself, and there'll be no more war. People don't realize this. When Jesus Christ comes in the second advent, he will judge the nations. The sheeps and the goats passage, right? Okay, all the Gentiles who didn't, who didn't believe in him, and then therefore they showed their faith in him by taking, helping the Jews out. They, if they, don't, if they don't believe in Jesus and they show up by their uh, mistreatment of the Jews, uh, negligence, uh, not helping them during the tribulation period during the Antichrist, they'll be removed from the earth. And those... There'll be only those who trust in Jesus will start the millennial reign among the Gentiles that survived the events of the tribulation period of the second advent of Christ. Also, same thing with the Jews. But a small remnant of Jews will be unbelieving and they're removed too by the elect, elect angels. So they go to torment and eventually the lake of fire at the great white throne at the end of history. So you only have believers who survive the events of the tribulation period of the second advent of Christ and there won't be many left. The world's population, I don't know, it's in billions now, I don't know what the billions, what number it is. The world's population, somebody's done a, a, a thing on it. I forget what it was, but it's significantly, it's, it's going to be pretty low. <laughs> it's going to be in the millions. It's not going to be uh, many people left that we, uh, that you will never see a billion by the time this, this whole thing goes down. And so, again, remember, we're safe from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 5, 9 says we're safe from this. Remember, Jesus is not a wife beater. We're out of here. Okay, we're the bride of Christ. We're out of here before all that goes down. It can't start until we're out of here. Okay? So, it appears that this prophecy will be fulfilled during the 70th week of Daniel and subsequent millennial reign of Christ rather than God judging Israel 
through Assyria and Babylon since Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 predicts that Zion will be the world capital and Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 predicts that God will judge between the nations and there'll be no more war. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. Now, many times, we'll see this in Daniel, many times in prophecy, mountains are used for kingdoms, nations. Now, we see, is it chief among the nations? The Lord's temple? Not now, but it will during the millennial reign of Christ. It will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. By the way, I told you the second advent of Christ in Zechariah, there's going to be a massive worldwide earthquake that the world has never seen the likes of before, just destroying everything. And the topography of Jerusalem will be changed forever. It'll be not embedded into the hills like it is now, but it'll be protruding up. And that's why people will be streaming to it. In fact, the Gentiles will say, I heard the Lord's up in Jerusalem. Can you take us there? Grab the cloak of a Jew. So this is something we'll be seeing. Many peoples, verse 3, will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, Jerusalem. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We're going to be there with the bride of Christ. Guess what? In a resurrection body, and we're going to listen to the Lord teach. Isn't that going to be cool? You won't have to listen to squeaky voices like me. Okay? You, from Massachusetts, who talk too fast... Okay, you'll have the Lord himself, the perfect greatest teacher of all time, God in the flesh. Isn't that something? I can't wait to go to that Bible class. He will judge between the nations. Has he done that yet? It hasn't happened yet. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Has that taken place yet in history? No. It will during the millennial reign of Christ. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Goodbye, military industrial complex of every nation. They're all gone. No need for it anymore. Because the king, the, the prince of peace, has finally brought priests to the earth. And don't think, don't be believing in that, that lie out there that we can have a utopian society in this day and age. You can't. Because there's a devil who's ruling this world, and we're all sinners, and we're rebelling against Jesus Christ, and the wrath of God is on us, the world, because of it. No. There's going to be war, and that, that's why nations need to defend themselves and arm themselves. We learned that lesson in World War II. And then, when Christ ends the whole thing, okay, then we can talk about utopian society, where Jesus is ruling, and his ways are the, the, the glory of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. Do you see that today? No, I have the, the knowledge of Satan, and all his lies fill the earth. You can't even trust anybody in the media. You can't trust anything. You can't trust that government anymore because the lies, 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 lies. Everybody's lying. Politicians lie. People are lying left and right. And this is what we got to deal with. We're in the devil's world. Get used to it. Okay? But there will be no more lying. There will be no more war. There will be perfect righteousness. And you and I are there. We're the bride of Christ. You and I are there. So don't get too down about this. This has got to come to pass. Okay? We have to go through all these things before we get to the beautiful part of world history, which is yet to come, the millennial reign of Christ. So, uh, we see here, 
that the, uh, in Isaiah chapter 13, there's a prophecy regarding Babylon. And Isaiah 13, 1 through 8, addresses, excuse me, God's use of Babylon as his instrument to destroy Israel. And Isaiah 13, 5 through 6. Now, the fulfillment of the day of the Lord with regards to this did not take place for a little over 100 years. And so the reference to the day of the Lord in Isaiah 13 speaks of a near eschatological fulfillment which was fulfilled by Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar in 605 to 586 B.C. Now, but it does appear that this prophecy speaks of far eschatological fulfillment as indicated by Isaiah chapter 13, 9 through 16, which, why? Because it describes these verses. Even the stars of the stellar universe being affected by God's judgment of the world for its evil. We haven't seen that ever in history yet. With the seven seal trumpet of bold judgments, uh, Revelation 6 to 18, which we're going to study, as I said, oh yeah. Uh, they, they're worried about, the, the scientists are worried about something, you know, stuff crashing the earth, you know, uh, meteorites and all that stuff. Guess what? Yeah, it's going to happen. And they can sit there and say, protect, try to do something to protect the earth from it. Good luck. Hey, you're wasting your time. You're fighting against the omnipotence of God. Foolish men. All right, so now, the description of God's judgment in these verses echoes Matthew 24, 29, and Revelation 6, 12 through 13, and Joel 2, 31, which speak of God's judgment of the world during the tribulation portion of the 70th week of Daniel. Now, the day of the Lord is found in Ezekiel twice, Ezekiel 13, 5, and 30, verse 3. Ezekiel, he wrote his book in the midst of the fulfillment of the near judgment and was taken captive to Babylon in 597 B.C. And he wrote in 592 B.C., six years after the second deportation of Jews to Babylon. Now, in Ezekiel 13, the prophets spoke against false prophets and prophecies, and uh, verses 17 to 23 of that chapter. And in this chapter, verse 13, chapter 13, we have a reference to the time from the beginning of G Judah's deportation in 605 B.C. to the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Thus, Ezekiel, like Amos, is speaking only of a near reference to the day of the Lord and his day and age. However, in Ezekiel chapter 30, the prophet refers to the day of the Lord in the context of the destruction of Egypt. And in Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 19 through 20, which was fulfilled, the destruction of Egypt was fulfilled when Nebuchadnezzar defeated Egypt and all the nations who were in alliance with Egypt also were defeated by Babylon and thus there's no far eschatological reference to all the nations. Now, we're coming near the end here. Zechariah, great book, as I said before. Zechariah makes reference to the day of the Lord in chapter 14 of his book, which deals entirely with the far eschatological fulfillment rather than a near one, since the Assyrian and Babylonian, Babylonian judgments from God were already history at that time. Remember, Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai. Have we studied Haggai? They were contemporaries with each other. They both talk about rebuilding the temple in Haggai's day, which we call Zerubbabel's temple, which became Herod's temple, which was destroyed by the Romans. Zechariah chapter 14, 1 through 2, is a prophecy regarding the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. And Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 through 8, is a prophecy regarding the second advent of Christ. And then verses 14, uh, chapter 14, verses 9 through 21, is a prophecy regarding the millennial reign of of Jesus Christ. So let's go to one last passage. Go to Zechariah. What do we got for time here? Yeah, not bad. Zechariah chapter 14. I might get you out of here around 10 o'clock, so I hope you don't mind. I'm just kidding. 
Of course, you know that already. Zechariah 14, one of the great chapters of the Bible. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. This is all in the future. It's all talking about a future, the tribulation period, the second advent of Christ, the millennial reign. So it's a fire eschatological fulfillment. The Babylonian and Assyrian deportations are all been past history. Okay? In fact, he's writing in the day of Haggai when they were rebuilding the temple, Zerubbabel's temple, and it was completed in 516 B.C. we studied, right? Zechariah 14.1, a day of the Lord is coming when, you, when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem. And I've said this before, and I know this from the Northwoods documents that were released, because as a result of the Kennedy assassination, JFK movie, they, they released all these documents, and the North, Northwoods documents are fascinating documents. That, you know, the Joan Chiefs back in Kennedy's day and, uh, and Eisenhower's day, they went to Kennedy twice and said, hey, we want to nuke the communist bloc. He goes, really? We call ourselves the human race? He walks out of the meeting. Twice they did that to him. He said, no. But that's the, but they had general, they think you hear a general war, that means nuclear war, okay? Their, their plan, when they planned for it, I think it's probably true today, still. They planned that the next world war will take place over Jerusalem, over Israel. That's what we know from back in the Cold War days. I don't think it's changed, but maybe it has. I don't know. So, I say this because, guess what? I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem. He's making right now his enemies a footstool for his feet. All the things that are going on in the world today, all the intrigue that's going on, and they look like haphazard events. They're not connected. Yes, they are. The Lord's working out the circumstances, the providence of God, so that this comes down where he's going to have his enemies, Jesus' enemies, made a footstool for his feet. He's going to destroy his enemies. He's gathering all the nations for the final war. That's coming. It's imminent. How do we know it's imminent? Because the rapture is imminent. And if the rapture is imminent, that means that the day, the day of the Lord is going to be beginning as soon as we're out of here. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. How in the world are they going to do this? Well, we studied Daniel 9.27, the 70th week. It's an inside job. Antichrist is already in the city. He has access to the temple. Why? Because he made a peace treaty with them. That's how the 70th week starts. They bet on the wrong horse. Again. So he says, then the Lord, verse 3, will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day. Now that's a 24-hour period because he's talking about the second advent of Christ. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Is that literal? Yes. Did he stand on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1? And then he ascended into heaven, and then the angel said, guys, why they were like this? With their mouths wide open, gaping open, while they're watching more, they go, the angel goes, hey, by the way, the same, he, what are you looking at him like that? He'll be coming back the same way that you saw him ascend right now. And he's going to land right here, just where he came from, one day. That's what he's talking about. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. You can go there today. Some of you already have, right? East of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives will be split in two. From east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half, north and half moving south. You will flee my mountain's valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. You and I are one of the holy ones 
we're the bride of Christ. He's talking about elect angels, and he's talking about at that time will be tribulational martyrs and resurrection body, Old Testament saints and resurrection body. On that day, there'll be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day for the unique theanthropic person of history, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Why is it unique? It, without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there'll be light. On that day, why will that be? Because when Christ comes back in his, all his glory, all right, and we're coming back in all our glory, and the angels, elect angels in their glory, tribulational martyrs in their resurrection bodies in their glory and rewards, and the Old Testament saints like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Daniel, we're going to light the place up. You won't need the, the moon and the stars or the sun. We're here. We're going to light the place up. It's going to be a great light show. Better than anything the kiss ever did. Okay? <laughs> like that for you, you old timers know what I'm talking about. You kids don't know. Victoria, you know who Kiss was? Oh, yeah, okay, of course you are. You look too young to know Kiss. <laughs> All right. So it's going to be a new day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord, when evening comes to be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea. In summer and winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there'll be one Lord and his name, the only name. Now I want you to skip down because it's talking about the plague during the, these verses. Go, go up to, uh, let's see. Yeah, go up to verse 20. Because I, I, I don't want to read the whole chapter because I got to wrap this up here. Oh, goodness gracious. Verse 20, it says, on that, day, holy, on, on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed in the bells of the horses. Now, this is describing the millennial reign. And the cooking pots and the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord, Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there'll no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. So, we see that the day of the Lord appears, and we'll wrap up with this. The day of the Lord appears in Zephaniah, as I pointed out. We saw that earlier this evening. Uh, we see that also there's four passages in the New Testament in which the day of the Lord appears. Acts 2.20, I pointed this out last week. We'll go to them in the future. Also, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, 2 Thessalonians 2.2, and 2 Peter 3.10. And we see that the New Testament writers, Peter and Paul, okay, Luke, they use the day of the Lord as the Old Testament writers do. Thus, Paul and Peter's understanding of the day of the Lord was based upon their understanding of this use of the phrase in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord in Acts 2.20, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 and 2 Thessalonians 2.2 is speaking exclusively of the 70th week of Daniel and in particular the tribulation portion of the 70th week, the last three and a half years, the Armageddon campaign. So 2 Peter 3.10, as we saw last week, and we'll see this when we look at the new heavens and the new earth in this study, the very end, we're going to study that. And, and then in, uh, uh, Revelation 21 and 22. So it says in 2 Peter 3.10 is the only day of the Lord prophecy which pertains to the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So thank you for being patient as I go panoramic view of this study. The day of the Lord prophecy is fulfilled in the past and the ones that are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled in the future. There, we can conclude, conclude that the day of the Lord prophecies described the immediate future of the writer, as well as those events taking place during the 70th week of Daniel and Christ's second advent and millennial reign. Thus, in a far eschatological sense, the day of the Lord is not a literal 24-hour period, but rather it's an extended period of time, and it begins with God's dealing 
with Israel after the rapture of the church that takes place prior to Daniel's 70th week and it extends through the second advent of Christ and his millennial reign, culminating with the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. However, the day of the Lord could also be a period of time taking place during the prophet's own lifetime and or not too long after that. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this uh, lesson would be a blessing to your people, a great encouragement to your people as they carry on and forging ahead and becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this, this study would be a, uh, cause them to uh, uh, give them excitement in, about the, what's to, to take place in the future and give them confidence and that uh, based upon the fact that he's fulfilled these prophecies, so many day of the Lord prophecies in the past, literally, and he's going to do so with the remaining day of the Lord prophecies that are yet future. And we just thank you for making us members of the body of Christ, the future bride of Christ, that's going to reign over this earth for a thousand years and on into eternity and the new heavens and the new earth. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right. Don't laugh if I blow it singing, so I'm going to give it a shot. I didn't feel too bad talking. You need to get out of here and you're running late. By all means, you can hit the highway. <coughs> Cool, refreshing drink. Save